This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have an awesome guest with us, Edgar Blazona, who is the founder of Benchmade Modern, a new technology-driven custom sofa company on a mission to change the way people shop. Edgar, we're really excited to have you on the podcast over here. I know we're going to be diving into a lot of your experience as a three-time founder and a furniture industry veteran. So super excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, Before we dive into all of the fun stuff we have lined up, I'll go ahead and pass the mic over to you if you want to give a little bit of an intro about yourself and tell us a little bit more about what Benchmade Modern does. Sure. Happy to. Well, thanks for having me first and foremost. Yeah, man, I started out a long, long, seems like forever ago in the furniture business. I left high school and started my first furniture company right out of high school. So three-time founder for sure. It feels like maybe five or six-time founder, actually. Those were all just companies that I, you know, maybe put on paper. But in the reality is, is that I've just been doing it forever. And, and um, more recently, I started Benchmade Modern. You know, frankly, I got tired of going to dinner parties and, you know, the first thing anyone says is, oh, you're a furniture designer. Oh, I bought this piece of furniture. Man, it sucked. You know, it took 10 weeks to get it. And by the time it got there, I didn't even like it any longer. You know, that that sort of thing. Like, and it happened over and over and over again. And I thought, man, there's got to be a way to change this, to to stop this mentality from happening. So how can I change the manufacturing process to create a product much quicker? And that said... I started Benchmade Modern and I created this manufacturing process and so on and really tried to streamline everything so that I could stop that whole madness. Yeah, and and that's really exciting and I'm excited to dive into that as well. One thing that kind of stands out to me from your little intro over there was just about being involved in the furniture industry. Why furniture? What, What brought you over there? Yeah, I grew up in a construction family. You know, my family redid houses and whatnot and did concrete work and all that. And I, and it just wasn't enough for me. You know, I could have probably had a much easier route, you know, but I was kind of that like lost artist kid, you know, in high school, I was a graffiti artist trying to, you know, make a run at having a graffiti company. And I really, I needed to find a way to make money. I was living on my own at 17 and um, I made this first piece of furniture because I had a house and I was like, oh, I could just make something, you know, I'll just, so I learned how to weld. I taught myself how to weld and I made a table and chairs and I ended up showing it to a gallery, a local gallery in San Francisco. And they're like, Hey man, we could sell that to you, sell that for you. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I just made this and believe me, I used the worst tools you could possibly use to make this. Now that I know what I know, like I was so back ass, you know, but I made this thing and, and I handed it to them on a Friday. And by Monday, they called me and said it sold. And uh, I think I made like four or $500. And it was like, holy moly, like this is so much cash. Like I'm rich, you know, and <laughs> I've been in the furniture business ever since. So, you know, there you have it. I don't quite know why furniture, but, you know, I sold some furniture when I was really young and boy, I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And that's a really cool story. And thanks for sharing that over there. So, you know, you've been in the furniture industry and and the consumer space, I guess, you know, because furniture is generally bought mostly by consumers. It's bought in offices too. But as someone who's been in that industry, 
for a while now. What are some of the changes that you've seen in in consumer behavior and uh, kind of just the way that people buy? Um, and I know you connected a little bit of that back to the Benchmade Modern story, um, but would love to just hear a little bit more there as well. Yeah, when I first started, and it was like you know maybe thirty three years ago, something like that. You know, furniture was bought in retail stores, you know, some of those retail stores that we know of that are still there, you know, the Pottery Barns, when Pottery Barn very first started and places like that. And and people would shop and they would, you know, that was just the changing of the guard where you would buy things that were actually designed for the home in these retailers, right? It wasn't, they didn't sell the whole story way back then. And then so then Pottery Barns and, you know, places like that, Crate and Barrels came along and they kind of changed that dynamic so that you could feel like you're buying into a brand, right? The whole store felt like one thing. And for me, that was the real start of, you know, retailers really branding our home environments, right? And so I think that throughout the years, as things have changed, direct consumer has come along. It wasn't that long ago, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, you would have to become a wholesaler, right? If you owned a furniture brand, you would become a wholesaler and you would sell your goods, you know, wholesale to a store who would then carry your brand and, you know, and obviously sell it. There was no direct to consumer. In fact, that was a huge no-no. Like you're going to sell your furniture by yourself without us. You know, that was like, you're going to get dropped out of here, you know, quickly. And one of the first people that I know who did it was Blue Dot. And they kind of paved the way for modern brands kind of selling through their own online store. It was a big, big deal back then. And then now, obviously, you have all these new direct-to-consumers coming out. And, and, and I think that the Internet, of course, has brought a way that's much easier for brands to go to the public and sell their goods. And now with pricing policies and all that, we can compete with the retailers and and also direct-to-consumer and so on without creating too much of a, an uproar. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen change, you know, is that change from buying at a retailer all the way to direct-to-consumer. And then let's not forget, there's all those little guys out there, the Etsy's of the world that are out there producing, you know, onesie, twosie pieces that are making great stuff and you can find them now. Yeah, and it's great as a consumer, like you mentioned, especially even for your brand that you have, it's a win for the consumer because you get the furniture quicker. Maybe there's a little bit more brand story behind it and you can kind of buy in as well. And, you know, um, I would say too that, you know, let's not forget the custom angle, right? Like back in the day, you know, we sell upholstery, right? So back in the day, you could find a small upholstery shop in your town or your city. You know, you'd go to them, you say, I want a sofa that looks like this. The guy would say, you know, well, you're crazy. And, you know, if we're going to do it, it's going to cost $8,000. And nowadays, you know, you can Google custom sofa, right? And find companies like myself that will actually, you know, make a custom product for you at a reasonable price and a reasonable time frame. I mean, that never happened up until recently. Yeah, definitely. And so with your experience in the furniture industry, I'd be curious to know, because, you know, we have a lot of our audiences as other founders and people that are starting businesses or thinking about starting businesses or actually have just started businesses. Um, so as someone who's been in the space, the furniture industry space for a while, how does it help you kind of see the business a little bit differently than maybe someone who's just learning about the space that they're in? 
Yeah, great question. I always kind of laugh. You know, you have startup founders who are raising money for, you know, categories that they have no understanding of. And I didn't do that, right? I've been in the furniture business. I chose to fix a problem that I had been seeing for years and years and years. And so I think we can see when you're involved in the industry, you know, there's several areas that you could venture off to to go fix, right? I mean, the furniture industry in general is archaic. You know, I used to joke, you know, wasn't more than maybe eight years ago when it was like, hey guys, there's this thing called the internet out there. You know, the furniture industry was just unaware. They didn't have websites. And there's some leaders, of course, that did and pushed through that. But man, there was a while there that those guys didn't see the future. And so I think as you know, obviously living in the Bay Area, being surrounded by tech, being surrounded in the furniture industry with interior designers and you know, retailers and all that, um, I was able to see pretty clearly what needed to be fixed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense over there. And so, you know, you, you know, like you mentioned, you you've started some other businesses as well. I know we mentioned at the beginning three-time founder, but you were like, that's just what's on paper. You've started some other businesses as well. Um, so I'd be kind of curious, how has your prior experience as a founder kind of impacted uh, what you're doing now with Benchmade Modern? How has that kind of impacted the learning curve, figuring out like getting getting the brand out there, finding the people to sell to and all of those different things? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I did it the hard way, right? I did it with labor. I used to push wood through the saw. Like I can actually build the furniture. And there's a detriment to that as well, right? I mean, I can step behind any saw and and work it. At the same time, I also find myself having to step behind the saw to work it. And at times, maybe I don't have my eye, you know, on a bigger picture on a, you know, because I'm focused on fixing, physically fixing by hand, you know, what needs to be accomplished. I think that the companies, you know, when I, way back in the day, I, you know, I used to push wood through the saw and I just realized, man, it's going to be forever before I'm able to hit scale this way. So I'm going to shut my business down and I'm going to go work at Pottery Barn at the time. Pottery Barn was super hot. And and I was like, I need to understand what manufacturing is like. So in that company, I, I got a job there immediately. I started to create problems and show them that there was these problems that I had to go fix. And that was all just so I could go overseas and go to these factories and start to understand what mass manufacturing looked like. And I tell you, that was such a learning experience. That was my furniture college, frankly. And I was able to learn exactly what, how furniture's made, how it's made at scale, and so on. And, and, but I still think, I go back and I think, does that hurt me? Man, I used to deliver all my own furniture. I'm used to going into people's homes and I used to believe, and I still sort of believe, like by going into their homes, I understood how the furniture sits in the room and what our customers are like. Frankly, you can't design a 10-foot sofa and expect to get it in many people's homes. I learned that firsthand. So there's pitfalls and things that you pick up along the way. And I think being a hands-on founder helps. Yeah. And so, you know, with that in mind, working on Benchmade Modern, I'd be curious, like as someone who's kind of started those other companies before and been in the industry for a while, 
how did that kind of impact, you know, your go to market approach and basically just getting your brand out there and growing it from zero to to over eight figures now? How did those experiences kind of impact and help what you're doing today? Well, going back to it, you know, we did it the hard way. And a lot of that was hands on labor. You know, that's not sitting behind the computer and and um, finding, you know, hacks, marketing hacks and so on. That was like physically making stuff, delivering stuff, you know, really getting our hands dirty. I think that I guess the question really is, is how did we get there? And I think that part of it is I used to own a brand called True Modern. It was a wholesale brand and we started selling sofas and I started to get a lot of requests for custom sofas. And then I was like, okay, maybe I can make these sofas by the inch. So let me test this and I'll make custom sofas by the inch. Then I was like, okay, it was successful. In order to really do this, I need to start another brand because I can't damage my wholesale brand with my direct consumer brand. So I better start another brand and work on this thing kind of on the side because my paycheck is coming from my wholesale brand, right? I can't wreck that, I gotta live, right? So, you know, I started out, I was like, I gotta build my own factory. I had to raise money, you know, in the tech industry, like no one's gonna give you money for a furniture company, right? And so I was like, I'll build my own factory. And I started building the factory. I started making products and I started like proving to the world that I could make products quickly and by the inch, you know, custom and really turn it. And I use that to raise money. And so those experiences through the wholesale business and can you ship sofas, can you ship large items, have to keep it in stock, all of those things all pave the way to what I'm focused on now, which is you know a direct-to-consumer custom upholstery business. And man, we make some badass stuff. I mean, it's really, really, really good stuff these days and it's fun. And that's taken me 20 years to, to figure out, you know, those recipes. That's cool to see how your experiences kind of play into that. And I can just tell how fired up you are about, you know, what you do and everything that you're working on and building as well. It's fun. It's really fun. And I, I still tell you the other day, I, I sent out this note on Twitter. I was like, hey, other direct consumer sofa brands, upholstery brands, like you put up your best stuff and I'll put up my best stuff. Let's give it to a writer and let's see, and whoever wins is crowned Sofa King publicly. You know, like that's how stoked we are on our product these days because it's, you know, we're really putting our all into it and it's fun, it's fun stuff. I am stoked. That's awesome. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. So I know one of the things that you just hit on is uh, your delivery time and your ability to get products to customers really fast. That's one of the things that I was doing some research and I saw that's something that you pride yourself on. Let's dig a little bit into that. You mentioned that you have a factory and and things like that. How are you able to get that supply chain efficiency over there and kind of uh, have an advantage over some of the other brands that are in the furniture space? Well, interestingly enough, you know, the first business that, you know, the Benchmade Modern 1.0 version when we had our own factory, 
we were able to produce sofas in 24 hours and we charged a little extra, you know, and you could order a sofa in 24 hours. Interestingly, it kind of hurt us because people would say, well, if it takes five weeks to get a sofa, how can you can make it in 24 hours? Must not be very good, you know? And so, okay, so we fine tune that. And in reality, we try to be at the 10 day mark. And you might ask, well, why are you at five weeks right now? I think that's our current timeline is four to five weeks, something like that. And it's because in these times, foam and materials are a problem right now. COVID, there's a huge demand on raw materials. And that, you know, most of the people don't know. That's why a lot of our competitors are, you know, 16 weeks, 20 weeks. And it's like, it's getting worse and worse and worse because everyone's redoing their houses right now. And there's such a demand on wood and foam and fabrics and all that. So we were acquired and um, fortunately we have one of the largest facilities in the country. So that really helps kind of keep that timeline going. You know, a lot of these furniture suppliers, they don't keep the fabrics in stock. I mean, you would think that's a no-brainer. If you're going to sell something, have the material, right? And then don't try to sell it without having the material. So, you know, and there's a few more tricks that I don't necessarily want to get into um, publicly. <laughs> but, you know, we really have pushed the timeline. And that, honestly, it starts from the site all the way through the front office, through the factory, and out the door. Little tweaks and changes here and there that really can make the difference. Very cool. And thanks for sharing uh, some of that information over there. You know, part of what you've been able to accomplish is really impressive. Uh, just being able to go from zero to eight figures in any period of time is is really difficult. What are some of the key factors that you think have kind of contributed to the growth over there? Anything specifically that you've done or focused in on on the business that's helped? Yeah, I think with this industry, it's about getting out there, getting in front of people. You know, obviously marketing is, you know, no joke. We took a early lead with press. I felt that press was really, really valuable in the beginning as we were brand building. We had a good story to tell. We were producing great product in a short timeline and all that. So we went after a lot of press and that got us you know, kind of in people's eyes. It got us in front of a bunch of other writers' eyes and other podcasts and all that. So that then we had like a foundation. Obviously, the marketing helps, you know, more people we can get in front of. But, you know, we are a design-driven business, right? And so design and branding and keeping that storyline running, you know, is really, really important. The rebellious luxury thing that we push, you know, that's all about like, we don't want to wait around for a latte. Like we just want a sofas. We want it good. You know, we want to like, we want good stuff. We want it quick. You know, we're not, you know, this is not RH. And so I think having those storylines and continuing being something a little different than everyone else, I think is paid off and that's really helped us grow. You know, not to mention a bunch of really nice, well-designed stuff. And I, you know, I hate to brag, but you know, we've got a lot of good reviews. Wirecutter, for instance, named us Best Sofa 2020 and 2021. Maybe it's 2019 and 2020. Nevertheless, back-to-back years of Best Online Sofa. Like, that's, that's not easy to do, and I think that's really helped us grow at a rapid pace. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that's why you're so excited about that Twitter competition. That yeah, you're, like whatever, bring it. Yeah, I would love, you know, like old school battle, right? Bring your best stuff, you know, let's have someone look at it and tear it apart. Like, I'm all good with that. Winner gets crowned Sofa King, you know, like a, you know, a streetcar race or something like that. I like stuff like that. That's awesome. That's really cool. So, you know, as we're kind of coming slowly to the end of the podcast over here, I always like to peel back a little bit on the founder and kind of just learn a little bit of uh, what you can share from your experience over here. So, you know, for other entrepreneurs or other founders, other people that are thinking about starting a business, what is some of the advice you would give from them? Um, Maybe on, you know, some of the things that you've done, some of the mistakes, possibly challenges, anything over there. Yeah, you know, raising capital, right? That's always the question, especially in this day and age, especially with direct-to-consumer businesses. Should you raise capital? Should you not? Who should you raise from? Running a startup. And I try to tell this to startup founders, and they don't really get it. It's kind of like talking to a teenager. They think that they are going to rule the world, which is what a startup founder should, right? And especially when you're raising capital, like the guy who's giving you the capital He wants you to rule the world, right? And so we're trained to tell this story how we're going to rule the world. And I think we dig in pretty deep on that. It is hard, man. It is really hard. It's really grueling. And we've all heard that. We've all heard other startup founders say that. But I don't think you're prepared for the roller coaster of highs and lows through the same day. So I really try to tell founders, your idea is great. It's not the best in the world. And in order to get it to be the best in the world, you're gonna have to work harder than you've ever worked. But most importantly, you're gonna have to be able to roll with the punches and take those highs and lows. Because sometimes the lows are so low, you wanna give up. And other times the highs are so high that you, you you think you're gonna rule the world. But in reality, If you can kind of keep a steady pace and not let those highs get to you and not let those lows get to you and try not to do that zigzag effect. That's probably the biggest advice that I can give. And then secondly would be choosing your investors smartly. You know, they have a lot of influence and especially when you're just starting, they have a lot, a lot of influence and they tend to help you make decisions. And in order to keep them happy, you kind of have to go along with some of their decisions, you know, not all of them. So if you can really get a good team behind you, it means everything. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. I think that was all great advice. And I'm sure the audience listening probably gained a lot of value from there. This has been an awesome episode, Edgar. It's been awesome getting to speak with you and learn and listen to your story, everything that you've shared so far. As we come to the end, one last question that I'll kind of leave off on, what's next for Benchmade Modern and where can people learn a little bit more about what you're doing and what you're working on? Well, of course, they can go to BenchmadeModern.com. Check us out there. What's next for us is, you know, we're adding some new collections. We've just added a bunch of coffee console and side tables, some lighting. So we're really trying to expand the whole business as well as our offerings. But I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to see what we're doing as uh, the rooms are starting to really come together. It's exciting to see, you know, not just the sofa, but the rug and the table all kind of come together in one piece, you know, in a good way. So 
um, yeah, if you stop on by, I'd love to get some feedback and see what you think. That's awesome. Any plans to start another business? All right, this is the... Well, this is it. Yeah, this is it. This is my life, you know? Sofa's for life, you know? Uh, I hope. So anyway, that's where I'm at these days. That's awesome. Well, Edgar, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciated uh, getting to speak with you about everything you're doing and, and really just sharing a lot of the tips and learnings that you've had from your career. Um, so thank you so much. I know I got a ton of value from this episode as well. I'm sure our audience did also. It was a very jam-packed value episode. But thanks so much for joining us. For everyone that's listening, if you enjoyed this episode of the DTC pod, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>